0: The following is a presentation of Dating Kinky, built by Kingsters for Kingsters, Poly, Queer, Transfolk, and anyone not quite vanilla. And it's free. or as he is known around the kink and fetish community. Hi there, catsuit.
1: Hello there, Nookie. I love it when I'm able to talk about a subject that is genuinely one that I don't know much about. And today we have one of the finest to talk about, fin It's a controversial subject, but as you'll hear, one that can be used in the greatest of ways and bring joy to not only the receiver, but the giver as well. As we talk to an educator, an event curator, and a mogul. Mistress Marley is a professional dominatrix who specializes in financial domination, the psychological kink of controlling someone's wallet. Located in New York City, she organizes events and classes that help teach aspiring doms the art of BDSM, along with teaching safety and content. She is also an online kink educator and sex worker activist. To further her community organizing, she is the co-founder of Whips Dungeon, a dungeon space that hosts kink and sex positive events for all. Mistress Marley on what women and other wonderful humans want.
0: They are the questions that establish the story. Five questions about firsts, bringing back the genesis of the character behind the human. It's the first five and it starts now
1: first time you ever had an indication that you had a dominant personality.
2: The first time I ever had an indication that I had a dominant personality was definitely in high school. So in high school, we had the yearbook team and I made it my business to be the editor in chief. And I was the person that was like, if anyone in this school pisses me off, they're not making the yearbook. So I definitely was that person. Um, Power kind of went to my head, but that was like my first sense of power in my life. And I was probably like my senior year. So I was 17 going on 18. So
1: yeah. First time you ever used that power in a professional environment.
2: The first time I used that power in professional environment was when I was a visual merchandiser um, for a retail store. So when you're the visual merchandiser, you really have to be in control of how the store looks and everything of that nature. And I was training other new visual merchandisers that were coming in. So that was my
1: first time doing that. First time you ever picked up an implement of pain, how did you use it? And what were your emotions in doing so?
2: The first time I ever used an implement of pain was definitely these little rubbery plastic floggers, I mean, paddles that you can get from Amazon. And that was my first time I ever had a BDSM session. And when I used it, I knew it didn't really give too much like pain to the person. I knew it was like a wimpy little thing. Um, But even their reaction was just like, it felt so great to them. And I just felt great doing it. I was like, I should have been doing this. This is something that was, I was meant to be called to
1: first time you taught a class what was it in and how confident were you in teaching it so
2: the first time I taught a class I was teaching a class about how to be a sugar baby so before I was a dominatrix I was a sugar baby so there was a class of maybe like 15 women that were interested um, and it just felt great to be teaching and to just see that people were focused on what I had to say and something that I had for a while been hiding and was so open about now talking to people about. So I think that was just my segue into wanting to be an educator and, you know, just sex work, period.
1: First time as a findom you received a tribute and what did it feel like receiving it?
2: It was my first week of being a findom. I had Posted a receipt where I had went out and got food and needed to be reimbursed. It was like $50. When I received it, I went from, well, I don't know if Fendom is real, to holy shit, it's real. I just got money from a stranger. I'm about to quit my job now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And we will see where that journey continued when we return with Mistress Marley on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kiki. We're just getting started. Don't go away.
0: We do this show without paid advertisers and provide it to you as a labor of love. If you want to help the show, as well as contribute to Catsuit's conference fund to get live interviews and teach some amazing classes, you can give at bit.ly slash thanks, Now let's hear from some of Catsuit's friends with some messages for you. Are you curious about kink but don't know where to begin? (laughs) Or maybe you have a friend who, while they appreciate your interest in BDSM, they don't really understand what it's all about. You should check out Kink for the Curious. It's a fun little activity book with color pages and word finds, lots of silly puns, (laughs) Uh, but lots of solid... BDSM and kink information, written by somebody who's been in the business for almost 30 years. Kink for the Curious, a BDSM activity book for beginners, written by Princessa
2: Natasha Strange, that's me, (laughs) is available on
0: Amazon. Go get it now.
2: Welcome to the Yoni-verse. I'm
0: Scarlett. And I'm Anya. The Flaming Yoni podcast is a celebration of the beautiful and unique expressions of female sexuality. From asexual to
2: megasexual. From lifelong monogamy to relationship anarchy. From deep spiritual bonds of sacred union to spur-of-the-moment flames. It is all infused
0: with Yoni energy. Search for the Flaming Yoni on your favorite podcast platform. You will not leave the same as when you came. We invite you to connect with us on social media so you can follow all the great news about the show. You can find us on Twitter at WhatWomenWantP1, on Instagram at WhatWomenWantPodcast, and on FetLife at www.podcast. And if you want to follow the host, that's easy, as on Twitter, Instagram, and FetLife, he is Hi There, Catsuit. And now back to What Women and other wonderful humans want, presented by Dating
1: Kinky. Thank you, Nookie, and welcome back to the show. Honored to be joined from New York City by Mistress Marley, who calls herself Educator, Event Curator, Mogul. Let's go through each of those. Let's start with Mogul. What is it about you that says Mogul?
2: I think what it, what it is about me that says mogul is that I'm very transparent. I'm very daring in everything I do. I'm very innovative. Um, When I first started out in Fendom, I noticed that there weren't a lot of women that look like me. There weren't a lot of black women that were doing Fendom. So my first thing was to try to make a space for other black women to, you know, join in on this industry safely, consensually. Um, But I think for me, it's the fact that I'm always growing. It's the fact that I'm always trying to carve out my own lane and do things differently. And I might see someone doing something this way, but now I want to do something in a different way. And then also too, just making space for other people. I think a lot of us come in this industry and sometimes we gatekeep, sometimes we don't want other people to know how it works. And I'm just like, Like, you know, I didn't have anyone to teach me, so I would love to teach other people. So for me, it's really just holding space for others and making other people feel comfortable while truly doing what you love, you know? And I feel like that's the definition of a a mogul. And also too, I run all these businesses from events to dungeons, to so many different things. So I stay busy.
1: You call yourself an event curator, which I love that term. But you also in your biography talk about the fact that most of that is for women's empowerment. Tell me Mm -hmm. how important that is for you.
2: So it's very important to me for, to showcase women's empowerment from this point of view, because a lot of the women's empowerment we see is stuff like, oh girl, you don't need a man, or you know, you should have your own, you should be doing this and that, but it's never from the standpoint of dominance. Um, It's always just, I feel like it's really cookie cutter. It kind of leaves out the women that are like me that are sex workers that might not be doing the conservative thing that might not be doing what society wants them to do so me creating these events are to bring those type of women together um, to bring the type of women around me that I wish I had as friends growing up and you know that I wish I had Um, in my circle, aside from the few women that I do have. So I curate these events for women to be able to dominate. So for me to make an event where a woman has never dominated a man in her life and she gets to come in and whoop a submissive's ass consensually and get her feet rubbed and be served champagne at the same time, why not? And most of the time it's experiences that they've never had. So it's something that will always stick with them. And that's, that's what I just love to do something that will change their life.
1: I sometimes ask this question in the first five and I didn't with you, but I will Mm -hmm. ask it now. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the first time somebody wrote you a note or sent you a message saying meeting you has changed my life?
2: Yes, I actually do remember the first time I got a message like that. Um, It was shortly after I went viral in 2019 for walking the sub on a leash at my homecoming. Um, and you know, I was starting to teach women. I was teaching very lightly, not too heavy, just advice here and there. And, you know, one woman told me, she was like, you literally changed my life. Like ever since I've started taking your classes, I've gotten a submissive that's helped me pay for my school books and for, um, laptop and think of that nature. And she was just telling me that she never thought that she was deserving of that. And to hear that, in a way, it makes you, of course, you're like, thank you. And you're so glad to hear that. But in a way, it makes you think like, I'm just living my everyday life myself, trying to make it through things that are going on, you know, personal or or in just in business. But here I am, you know, positively affecting someone else's life way across the other side of the world. So it really makes you put everything in perspective. And it makes me look at my work is that it's truly needed. Because there's been times where my work has been criticized, like, oh, you shouldn't be teaching people this or, these women need to get a real job or sex work is bad. But then it's like, I see how it changes lives and, you know, changes people. And that's why I will always continue to do this work.
1: The misconception of sex work, especially Mm -hmm. in this day and age, when things are so much more open than they were, but it seems like the walls are closing in faster than ever. Mm Mm-hmm. What is it like to be in the middle of something like that when you know that the promise of pleasure or the promise of fulfillment is a noble one, but at the same time, other people have judgment and think that they know that it's something totally different when sometimes it isn't?
2: I think it's mostly, you know, almost every day waking up feeling like, your life is just going to be controlled at any point. I mean, there's so many stipulations. I mean, it even affects business. There's been times where I've lost multiple Instagram pages and that really affects business when you're promoting things and doing things and people are wanting to take your classes and subs are wanting to send you money, but the next thing you know, you're gone. So it's always feeling like you're in a constant Hamster wheel of feeling like you're getting over something, but then there's still something there waiting for you around the corner as a sex worker because so many of our rights are taken away from censorship on the internet to not being able to receive money in certain ways to having to watch how you operate with your bank account like there's so many different things. Um, But I think the thing that helps a lot of us through is the community. I mean, just having community, being able. I can log on to Twitter right now and be given a new fact about what's going on in sex worker world and what I need to watch out for and what how I need to be doing something with my profile. That way I can take that information and share it to other people that might not be privy to it or might not know what's going on. So it, it sucks because we're consistently being controlled, but we're always finding ways to overcome it. And, you know, that's the that's the good thing about all of this.
1: And while there's not a LinkedIn for the adult industry, mm-hmm. the community is so strong and everybody knows somebody that's mm-hmm. been through something. Exactly.
2: Well, is there a, is there a LinkedIn for this world? Maybe Fet Life, but I don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't think I'd ever go so far as to call Fet Life a LinkedIn. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Although technically LinkedIn could, Talking about the links between the two cuffs, but I don't Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Take me back to that viral moment in 2019. Describe how it happened and your reaction to all the attention that you got from it.
2: So it it was it was random when it happened. So usually um, even just when I first started as a sex worker or traveling dom. When you post you're going somewhere, you know. I knew I was going to North Carolina for homecoming. I was like, why not make some money if I can do some sessions down there? If I don't get any sessions, that's fine because I'm still going to see friends and people I'm in school with, whatever. So I put an ad up on FetLife saying I was going to homecoming. I'm open to doing sessions. And this older sub um, messaged me and he was like, he was interested in doing public humiliation at my homecoming on campus. And naturally, you know, I'm very, I'm very big on zodiac signs. The Aquarius in me was like, hell yes. There was no second thought. There was no nothing. I was like, definitely I'm going to do this. And for me too, it was also my first coming out to my friends. So they knew I was in this field, but they never actually saw it firsthand and knew what it meant. Um, It was kind of something that when we would talk about it, we would just brush over it, whatever, laugh about it. Oh girl, whatever. So when I went and did it, to me, I was still in session. So never at any point did I think, okay, did I worry about the people that was around me? Um, I was just like, I'm in session. Um, it's consensual. I want to make sure the sub is good. This is public humiliation. I'm making sure I'm doing it in an area where it's going to be adults only. Um, I'm making sure that, you know, it's consensual. People know it's consensual. So what's crazy is that the video that went viral, I didn't even know was being taken of me at the moment. I saw it posted the next day. So, what you see me doing in the video where I'm posing and stuff, I'm posing for my best friend's camera. Cause he's, he's taking pictures of me,
1: mm-hmm.
2: but off on the side, someone was, co- was recording. So we did the session, sub went home, made sure he was okay. And so we ended up partying the rest of the night for homecoming. I go, go to sleep. I wake up and I see the tweet that says, this girl brought her sugar daddy to homecoming. I retweeted it to correct it. I was like, that's not my sugar daddy. That's a sub that paid me to be humiliated. When I tell you that tweet went viral, I went from like 1,000 followers on Twitter to like 13K. My app kept crashing. Wow. Like this was all happening in amount of hours. And I had so many women just saying, can you teach me? Can you teach me? And ever since then, it's been history. And I, I definitely say that moment is pretty much what propelled me to, to where I am now.
1: That's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. And at that event, you said it was your coming out to let people know publicly who you are. Mm -hmm. Was there a lot of support for you? Because I'm thinking North Carolina, that could be Bible Belt. But at the same time, I've, whenever I have to- told people about the podcast that I do, they're like, Oh my God, that's amazing. That's wonderful. And I get positive vibes out of it. How, mm-hmm. what was the reaction towards you?
2: For me, it was mixed reactions. So I noticed that most of the positive reactions were from women that were intrigued, that wanted to learn, that just loved it. And the negative reactions per usual for men that don't understand, um, that think it's stupid, that think it's crazy or whatever. But, you know, I've always been, I've always had tough skin. Even when I was in high school, I dressed really weird. I was a weird girl with a shaved head and this and that. Like, I purposely, I love doing stuff like that. I love shocking people. Um, So for me, there's never any comment that I'm like, oh, shit, well, I should stop doing this work. I'm like, I'm going to keep doing this work because I love it. It's bothering you for some reason. I don't know why, but I'm going to 100% be myself. So it was mixed reviews, but I will say majority of my uh, reviews and stuff are very positive,
1: you know, so. What is it about men that makes them so critical about a successful woman?
2: I think it's, them feeling like they can't control and i'll I'll talk more personally i feel like because there's been times where i've dated some men that have you know clearly shown that they were intimidated and to me it's the for them it's the lack of control they feel like okay what can i really offer this woman she seems to have everything she has men at her feet she has men want to serve her all day and send her money like how I'm not even into kink. So how do I come into play? You know, so some people, you know, they see me, some men see me and they think, okay, she's probably like that 24 seven rather than getting to know me to see that. Okay. You know, this is just part of her pro-life or whatever, or she knows when to turn on kink, when to turn off kink. But I think a lot of men, they, they just don't understand it or they don't understand the lack of control, you know, or some might feel like, okay, well, I can never amount to giving her all this money. So, you know, what is my purpose? Um, and I think, you know, that could be part of the problem.
1: When the phone gets put away, when the computer gets put away, Mm -hmm. when your pro side gets put away, Mm -hmm. what makes you, you?
2: I think what makes me, me is my different range of interest. Um, The fact that my day-to-day is not the same one day I could really be into sewing because my background is in fashion. Um, I applied to film school recently. So I, you know, going into film school and I'm just into so many different things I'm into growing and learning I'm someone that always wants to explore and do different things and you know sometimes it confuses my friends because one day I'm like I'm gonna learn guitar and then the next day I'm like I'm gonna learn how to cook I'm gonna learn how to be a sous chef I'm gonna like I'm just like all these different things that I'm sending them um but it, it just makes me me you know the fact of always wanting to grow and not always be the same person and wanting to try something new um and just always being very sure and confident of myself, I don't doubt myself in anything I do. I'm okay with making mistakes. Um, I'm okay with not knowing something. I'm okay with asking questions. Um, I'm okay with awkward moments. I love awkward moments actually. Um, and also too, just being able to sit back in my in my house and watch the office all day that makes me me too. The little the
1: little things. <laughs> <laughs> when you were growing up, what did you want to? What did you want to do in life? What were your dreams?
2: So my dreams were to be a fashion designer. So um, and I still I still implemented that dream because I had my lingerie line, Pink Matrix. Um, but I went to my bachelor's degree is in fashion design, my grad degree is in fashion marketing. When I was going through middle school and high school, I would put together these crazy outfits and take pictures and post them on Tumblr. And I was looking at different lookbooks and different style inspiration blogs. So I've always been into fashion.
1: And those inspirations, especially in fashion, you can always visual visualize yourself as someone mm-hmm. and and the image that you want and that I'm sure has helped you so much in building the image of mistress marley mm-hmm.
2: it has it, it's very much so inspired me to always i feel like I always like to be well put together in my Dom outfits. Um, to me, even when I'm, you know, doing a session, the outfit I'm wearing can help my mood with a lot of different things. Um, I take inspiration in my feelings. One day I might wear all pink and feel flirty and girly. The next day I might wear all red and, you know, feel seductive. And then one day I might wear all black and just feel real sadistic, you know? So it, it always starts with the outfit for me.
1: Have you ever had a favorite outfit that you designed for yourself?
2: I think my favorite outfit I designed for myself was in college. It was our um, senior year project where we had to do a line from a different decade and I did the eighties and it was like this pink, like top with a skirt with like this fur around it. And I just love it. And I still have it to this day. Actually, when I was just moving the other day, I saw it and it brought back so many memories.
1: You picked a great decade. That's for Mm -hmm. sure. Especially when it comes to fashion, I still miss the neons of those days. Yes so much fun let's start talking about what has intrigued me and what made me want to talk to you in the first place mm-hmm. and that is the very powerful but somewhat misunderstood were world of fin yes what i i know that you explained the story of what got you into it by getting that first restaurant bill taken care of or first food bill taken care of, Mm -hmm. but what developed it?
2: I think what developed it was really just doing my research because there was no one willing to teach me. So I pretty much had to learn on my own. So within doing all that research, you're learning the different times. You're learning how to interact with um, submissives. You're learning what's pretty much what's acceptable, what's not. it's just so many things I was learning in such a short amount of time. And I'm always one of those people where like I learn and I'm ready to put it into play. So like as soon as I learned, I was like, OK, it's time to put this into play. It's time to start, you know, implementing this. so I can start making my money and really start propelling. So doing all the research is what really helped me because the more I did research, the more I was like, it's so much of this world that I thought was just just taking the money. But there's so much more that goes into it. And that brought me into learning about consent that brought me into learning about BDSM. Um, that taught me into learning about all these different terms, about having top drop and bottom drop and and all these different terms from TPE to SPH to JOI, like all these different things that I had to learn. So I think what really propelled me more into it was definitely learning.
1: What was the most important lesson that you learned early in findoming?
2: So I learned that early in findom that there are a lot of time wasters. So... I used to think, okay, everyone's going to want to pay me. I'm not going to have to worry about this or that. And then you get so many people in your inbox that want free kink. They want to waste your time all day. They want to feel like, oh, I can talk to you and not have to pay any money. Um, And there was also times, too, I had to learn you have to take that deposit up front for any session. There were times where I was doing online sessions. I didn't take the deposit. We had the session, and then they disappeared or blocked me, and I basically got paid nothing. So those are things I wish I knew before jumping into it, but I'm glad I know now.
1: What is the biggest misconception about Fendomming?
2: I think the biggest misconception is that people think it's easy work. Um, People think you just hop on and demand money, you get it right away. It's definitely something where you have to create a brand. Um, It's something where you have to definitely put the work in for visibility, at least posting three to four times a week. Um, It's definitely something where you have to have patience And you have to know that people are going to try you. People are going to try to offend you, whatever it might be. Um, But one of those common misconceptions is that people think it's very easy work.
1: When you see people pop onto Twitter or Instagram, and you might have this feeling of, yeah, I see that they want to be a femdom, but they're not quite understanding what it's all about. How does that make you feel? Does it put you into kind of mother mode? Like, excuse me, young lady, let me show you the way here. (laughs) Or, or is it one of those things where like, God, anybody thinks they can do this?
2: It kind of does both. Um, definitely the one with like, wow, people really think anybody can do this. And it also has me wanting to guide people. Um, So I think the best way I do it is just by advertising the classes. I always tell people, if you're really serious about this industry, you'll take classes. You'll talk to people that have done the work, Um, whether that's a free class, whether you're paying their tribute or whatever to learn. You know, um, know, I see that a lot because people, you know, Fendom is becoming more and more popular. We're seeing it in pop culture a lot. We're seeing it covered in the news. You have people like me all over Google talking about it. So it's like, it's what's the word I'm looking for? Because I don't want to say that it makes the industry oversaturated, but what I also like to note and and let people see is that, yeah, you might have hundreds of women trying to get into Fendom and making it look bad for the rest of us, especially those that aren't like doing it right. But also too, this work is so much work that the ones that it's not for, they'll drop out very quickly mm-hmm. and you'll see it. So,
1: yeah. Where do ethics fit in when it comes to Fendom?
2: So the ethics and dom really come down to boundaries of what your sub can spend. It's about having those conversations on um, knowing their budgets, not expecting them to go too over their budget unless they consent to it, um, knowing that it's not all about gimme, gimme, gimme all the time. Sometimes it's about having those conversations, those dom sub conversations, um, building those relationships there are times where I've had relationships where it was just one send and that was it. But then I have these long-standing submissive relationships. I have a submissive now of going on four years that started out in Fendom. Um So the ethics of it is just making sure that, you know, we go by SSC safe, sane and consensual, you know, just making sure that everything we do aligns. You don't want to take away from the fantasy of everything, but also to being safe and ethical helps with that fantasy helps bring it along more easily um, but just really having those conversations, like how much can you spend this month? How much can you budget? You know, things of that nature and not because, and that way you don't have unrealistic expectations. So I'm not going to ask a sub hub to send me a thousand dollars and they can barely send me 30 or $40. You know, I'll take those small sins also, but the subs that send the smaller sins know that they're not as much priority as the ones that would send the bigger sins, you know? So just letting them know those boundaries, letting them know, how they can pretty much fit into your life. There's subs that might can't do fandom. They can't send me money. So I give them other errands. Promote me on Twitter, promote my pages, um, create some graphics for me. You're good at creating websites. Boom, create a website for me. Um, maybe you can't afford all this tribute, but maybe you can order me Uber Eats tonight because I'm hungry. Maybe you can get me a Uber. Like there's other ways. Maybe if you're okay with your face being on camera, you can do some content with me. You know, there's so many different ways that subs can be utilized. And I think people overlook that and people don't realize that even if the sub is not sending you a big tribute, say if you have that sub that's fine with creating content, next thing you know, now you can use that content to make money on Clipsite. So it mm-hmm. always leads to something, you
1: know? Is there ever a time when fantasy just stops and reality sets in and you have to have a conversation with a sub and say, this isn't what you should be doing right now?
2: Yes. Prime example. More recently, I had a sub on I Want Clips because, you know, they can uh request custom clips. And he had requested his custom clip. I gave it to him or whatever. But he was very persistent on typing long paragraphs, almost novels to me um every time. And if I didn't reply back in the amount of hours he wanted, he would throw a tantrum. And to me, I completely had to just turn it off. I was like, this is not it. I said, I'm not looking for a sub that doesn't know his boundaries. There was even a time where I told him, hey, I'm with family. And he still, you know, kept going, you know. um. So times like that, that's when it's outside of the fantasy. And it's just like, I can't continue to deal with you because you're overstepping boundaries that I would never overstep with you. And you have a lot of clients or subs um. Even subs that aren't clients yet, they'll come in your inbox like, hey, I want to take you on a date. Like, that's a boundary. Like, that's like, you can't just, that can't be your first message to somebody. So the good thing is spin doms, doms, sex workers in general, we have this amazing thing on the internet. And I know a lot of people know what it is called the block button. And we have it and we use it. And you just go on about life and you sleep peacefully. You don't think anymore about it, you know. And I tell more and more people, utilize that button. You don't You don't owe anyone that's crossing your boundary shit. Nobody.
1: And the important thing to realize, and you talked about that you're having family time, or you're Mm -hmm. talking about just being out when you're trying to enjoy yourself at a bar or something like that. Mm -hmm. There are boundaries that you have because, yes, this is work, and not everybody works 247. Mm hmm.
2: And I think a lot of our subs and clients think we're working 24 seven. They think because they're horny at three in the morning, I'm supposed to be up and waiting to talk to them. That's not how it works, you know. Um, and I think a lot of people forget that sex workers, we're human too. We have our regular vanilla friends we hang out with. I go to bars and parties and brunches and vacations and I have family events I have to go to. And I have regular day-to-day stuff like doctor's appointments and dentists, like all those different things that they don't take into, that some clients don't take into accord, And yeah, it can get to the point where they really cross those boundaries.
1: Are most guys in this thinking with their dicks? or thinking with their head, or thinking with their heart? They are
2: definitely thinking with their dicks. That goes without saying. Um, You have the really good ones that are thinking with their dicks and their head, you know. Um, I don't know about the ones that think with their heart. They might make you think they're thinking with their heart, but they're really not. They're just trying to get attention probably. But a lot of them um, are thinking with their dicks.
1: Interesting. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) Because it's just, it's the picture that you would have of the, quote, typical male. Yeah. When we come back on what women and other wonderful humans want. Yeah, there's some males in those wonderful humans, but you have to find them. (laughs) (laughs) And we come back with Mistress Marley. We're going to talk about what it's like to find yourself in the pages of the New York Times when we return. Hi Dawn. Hi Dan. Recently we put together a brand new book called Hearts and Collars, reflecting 20 years in a power exchange relationship. It's 350 pages of what we've been living for the past 20 years.
2: Indeed, and it's got chapters like communication, power exchange and spirituality, how to be a leader, high protocol, becoming a follower, rituals, the new porch time, victim, survivor and thriver, power exchange and polyamory, submissive versus wife. The Practical Contract Guide, Relationship shor- Shorthand, as well as other tools and experiences we've had over the years.
1: Check it out at eroticawakening.com slash collars. Bye, Dan. Bye, Dawn.
0: This is Alicia Zadig, author of the new book, Yes, Mistress. I'm also Mistress Alicia, a leading dominatrix and BDSM expert. My book, Yes, Mistress, takes you on a provocative, eye-opening journey into the erotic worlds of kink, fetish, and female domination. Join me for a fascinating conversation. Male submission is more common than you think, and more rewarding than you can ever imagine.
1: Yes, Mistress, now available on Kindle, and you can order your copy at yesmistress.com.
0: this is Venus and I have a special message going out to all the single ladies listening right now. What if you could have a committed, loving relationship with a partner who is monogamous to you, but who would love to see you have sexual experiences with others? Sounds too good to be true, right? Well, it's not. You really can have your cake and eat it too. You can have it all. Learn more at venusconnections.com. That's venusconnections.com. Hi there. I'm Nookie. My pronouns are she, hers, and I'm the founder of Dating Kinky, a different kind of dating and educational site for kinksters, poly, queer, trans folk, and anyone not quite vanilla. And it's free. Catch me in my own podcast, Dating Kinky. And now back to John and their guest on What Women?, and other wonderful humans
1: want. Thank you, Nookie, and welcome back to the show. Joined by Mistress Marley from New York City. And as you're walking down the street, New York City's full of newsstands or newspaper boxes. And one day, as you're walking through the streets of New York City, you found yourself inside one of those newspaper boxes in the pages of the New York Times how did that all happen
2: so very interesting so um i want to say it was tw- it was the beginning or the end of 2020 going into 2021 and you know i had been back and forth messaging with the the style features editor and when i first got the message and i saw the headline new york times i said holy shit what what's going on here and she was like, I want to do a feature on you and Fin Dom, and I have some other doms too that I'm going to interview, but I want to make you like the main like topic of it or whatever. And of course, right away, I'm like, of course, yes, definitely, like definitely. And it was something I kept to myself for a while because it still felt so surreal because here I am, I moved to New York for fashion school and I moved at a time when I was struggling. So, you know, fashion is like the the heartbeat of New York just about. And you get here and you feel like, this small fish in such a big pond and you're struggling every day just to live in New York and you're seeing all the success around you and -and so-and-so's on this magazine cover and -and so-and-so just got hired here and here you are just a lonely intern just trying to make it through and looking at these newspapers and thinking like oh these people are in the New York Times that's so cool like that probably never happened to me and then one day it happens to you and I literally I got emotional about it I got really emotional about it and the crazy thing is, is that when I did the photo shoot for the New York Times, two weeks before the photo shoot, I had just got my boobs done.
1: <laughs>
2: so the photo shoot was sprung on me. I knew it was coming, but I didn't know it was coming that soon. So I'm at this photo shoot sore as hell. Even the picture that made it where I'm like have my arm above my head with my paddle. It hurts so bad to hold that pose for a mm. while. Um, But I was like, you know what? beauty is pain this pain is all going to mean something at the end of the day and then it came out and it was just I want to say like my life changed I was getting so many emails about oh I saw you in this article I saw this I saw that and um you know of course I saw the criticism on New York Times when they posted it on Twitter or whatever I saw that criticism and I was just like you know I don't give a shit because I'm in the New York Times like how many people can say that you know um so that to me that that was the whole story and that was an amazing moment
1: What was it about the writer that made you think, I can trust this person. They're not going to write a bomb piece on me.
2: She was very thorough on everything. Um, It was to the point where she first gave me a set list of questions and I answered them and I was thinking, that's it. And every question she had a sub question for and a sub question for that question. And we were getting on phone calls every week and, we were doing Zooms and we were talking and she wanted to know the definitions of certain things and making sure she was doing it right. And she wanted to make sure that I was painted in a light, just like you said, that had me being seen, not gawked at, you know, um, and she was just asking all these different things and screenshots of things and screenshots. She was just very, 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 very focused on being perfect. And that's what I loved about it. She took her time with it. It wasn't something like, oh, well, we got your first set of answers. Um, We'll let you know when it's out. It's like, no, we got your first set of answers and I need more and I'm going to walk you through every step.
1: Did she grow in her interest in what you were doing as time went on? And do you know if she ended up being very interested in it at the end?
2: So I don't know if she ever ended up like even getting into fandom or whatever. But what I find very interesting is when I do a lot of these interviews with other women, especially women that are in vanilla positions and vanilla jobs, at some point in the interview, they, they say how they want to do this. Oh, I should be doing this. Or I need to take your classes. I always hear that. So do they ever take my classes? I'm not sure. But um, I'm pretty sure I make their mind start, you know, tar- start turning. The wheels start turning and things.
1: We talked at the top about you being an educator. And I'm mm-hmm. um, on your website, which, by the way, is thechocolatedom.com. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Topics to be taught, niche discovery and specializations, brand building, aesthetic, style, name, branding, client attraction and retention, Mm -hmm. using online marketing systems, content creation and presentation. That sounds like a business class. It is. Mm -hmm.
2: So um, I think a lot of people... They just see the fendom and they think that's it. I'm like, no, I want to teach you how to be a business. I want to teach you how to be a brand. I want to teach you how to be able to identify certain things and be able to take this beyond sex work. Maybe you want to start a business one day and something else. I want to teach you how to start that branding and marketing. Um, and you know, a lot of people get in these classes and they're like, oh my gosh, there's so much information. I'm like, yeah, because I've had to learn so many things on my own over the past five years that now I can teach it very seamlessly and easily to the rest of you. But I want you to view this as more than just um, just something that's bypassing you by just something you're doing because you're bored. I always tell my mentees and the people I teach, I want to be able for you to be in the space I'm in, to be able to have this huge brand, um, to be able to market, to be able to be just more than just a body on the internet, you know, a presence. So I, it's really a business. I, I teach a lot of different things.
1: Tell me what your brand is defined by. So my
2: brand for me is defined by my professionalism. So whether I'm dealing with clients, whether I'm dealing with students, whether I'm throwing events, I've always been someone that wants things to be well put together. Um, it's funny because I gave myself the name, the Beyonce of BDSM.
1: <laughs>
2: so you will never know much about me personally, but you're always going to see a business move or an event or something <laughs> going on um, and try to keep that positivity and that light shining. But my brand to me is really my professionalism, how I present present myself professionally, how clean and concise I am, um, seeing the intent in my work, seeing how much my work means to me that I'm even putting this much work into it instead of just throwing something up there. Um, so I think that's what really makes my brand is is the professionalism.
1: I am very pleased to have been selected by FetishCon to do some major content coming up this august and one of the things i'm actually going to be doing along with temptress raven eve is doing a personal branding class mm-hmm. for people who are just getting into the industry mm-hmm. talking about fonts to select colors yeah yep. so the way you want to present your image whether it's a logo or the way you the edginess or the cleanliness or mm-hmm. the the outright wackiness of your brand it all reaches back to who you are inside
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I I think I've done a pretty good job in branding this particular podcast with little mm-hmm. subtleties and a lot of people come back to me and go that's one of the reasons why we listen is because you present it in a way that we want to mm-hmm. yep so I'll yep. take that compliment yeah yeah when you teach your classes Mm -hmm. what is the most asked question that your students have that you never expected to be the most asked questions question that your students have
2: I think the most asked questions that my students have is should I give them my bank account info
1: Mm.
2: and to me not like not to offend anybody, but to me, I'm like, isn't it common sense that we don't give anyone our bank info? I mean, even just in our regular everyday lives, mm-hmm. you know. And that's one of the questions that I often get. And I'm, and you know, of course, professionally, I say, no, of course not. You know, there are different ways you can get paid Cash App, uh, Venmo, Wish Tender, Spank Pay, tributes through clip sites, you know, all these different ways you can get paid safely where you never have to give out that info. But that's one of the questions I get very often. Um, And another one I get very often, too, is can I do this without showing my face? And me being a dom that shows her face, I was, you know, in the beginning, I was a little ignorant because I assumed, you know, everyone shows their face in this. Like, you know, we're we're fin doms. We show our faces. Then I realized there were so many women that had to protect their vanilla jobs and what they have going on that they couldn't show their face. So even me showing my face to be able to better teach my students and better cater to my students, I had to learn the ways of being faceless. I had to be able to say, this is what you can do to be faceless. You can do this type of content. You can do foot worship. You can do ASMR where it's only your lips down. You can wear creative masks. Um, You know, there's so many different things you can do. So I had to learn that even though I show my face. So it's, it's in business and it's in education and wanting to make sure people feel comfortable. It's all about pivoting to make things make sense for other people.
1: Speaking of pivoting, Mm -hmm. a lot of times you talked about the fact that your fin dom turns into pro dom. Yes. Where they make that evolution. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about your pro doming style. So my pro doming style is
2: definitely very sensually sadistic. So I will whoop your ass but be very sensual with it um I will make you feel like you're not in trouble and then out of nowhere you're in trouble with me um I'm very big on being intentional in my sessions, so I just don't take on any type of session because someone's in my inbox saying they want a session um I like to truly challenge my subs I like my subs to really um be in tune with my femininity to know that I like my champagne on a platter to know that I like my high heels to be put on my feet this way to know that if I'm hot, I need you to come fan me Um, to know that you have to hold the back of my robe when I'm walking. You know, I love my subs to know those types of things. Um, And then also too, sometimes, like I said, I get real sadistic. There's times where I like to do the pegging real hard. I love to do the water sports. I love to do all that, all that stuff. You know, I really get into my sadistic state sometimes, but My main Dom style is the subs have to know that I love to be treated like a princess. Like I have to.
1: One of the things I discuss on the show so many times is the power of connection. Mm -hmm. Because unless you have that connection with your sub, it just ends up being a list of demands or as some people call it, a fetish dispenser. Mm Mm-hmm. Describe to me a time when that connection was so amazing that it kind of blew you away too.
2: That time is actually happening in my life now. Um, And I want to say out of my whole time being a Dom for the past five years, it's my most refreshing one. Um, So I have a sub that I met a year ago um and he was just supposed to be a demo sub for a podcast I was going on the podcast they wanted me to bring the sub on and spank him um and he's a feminization sub so he goes by uh Tatiana that's my sub Tati and um you know I always felt like even when we were meeting for the podcast I'm like I hope this sub doesn't flake usually the subs flake or whatever they get a little nervous and when I met Tati, the first thing Tati did was pull out a gift for me. And the gift was a hundred dollar bill in the shape of an origami heart. And I was like, this is a very thoughtful gift. This is very thoughtful. You know, it's it's simple, it's it's money, which I love, but it's very thoughtful. So after, you know, the podcast, we were talking more through Fet Life and through Kick, and he was saying he wanted to serve me more and things of that nature. So we built a relationship where he was helping me with events. Um, he was really becoming a service sub. I even trusted him he came over and he cleaned my house for me um and then one day out of sissy clothing we just went to the bar and we had a drink and you know it was talking to him as the person he is and seeing who he is and ever since then there's so many things he's done for me i mean he even helped me put this bed together today he helped me move recently out of my apartment um he gave me another thoughtful gift he's very good at, at sketching and drawing so He drew a picture of my mini dachshund in a Christmas hat for Christmas. And I wasn't expecting that. And he put it on an ornament. And I was like, this is, this is the shit that I like. This is what we say by thoughtfulness. Anything I need, he's there for it as long as he can do it. And, you know, he's always just there. And I think that's been the best relationship ever. And when it's time to get in Dom sub mode, it's there. We do content. We do the pegging. We do the chastity. We do all that type of stuff. And he knows, like, I have his chastity keys here because he's locked up in chastity. and I'm holding the keys. Um. So he knows when it's time to be Tati for me and when it's time to not be Tati for me. And he's just there to listen to. So it's just, it's just been great, you know? So definitely something I cherish and hang on to.
1: And what you said there absolutely resonates with me. Mm -hmm. You know, when he's supposed, when they're supposed to be Mm Tati and you know, when they're supposed to just be themselves. Mm Mm-hmm. And to be able to have that connection with both sides has to be just so lovely and memorable for both of you. It's very refreshing. Very. I'm so happy for you. (laughs) I genuinely am because you hear the stories about how people just never expect that someone can come through for them. And I've been lucky enough this week to have two people who have absolutely just made me feel like I'm on top of the world. And when you have that kind of connection with people, whether it be in a vanilla relationship, a kink relationship, mm-hmm. or any sort of power exchange relationship, mm-hmm. the fact is heart to heart is the most important part. Exactly. Exactly. Mistress Marley, I want to uh, give you the opportunity to do what you do so well, and that is market yourself. Tell us all the best ways to be in contact with you and to follow your work.
2: Yes, yeah, so most of the time you can find me updating by the hour on Twitter. My Twitter is eyes, E-Y-E-S-X on fire. So that's eyes on fire with an X in between. Um, there you can find all my content I have a link tree in my bio where you can find my Patreon courses my Etsy courses upcoming Zoom courses I have my lingerie that you can shop Um, there's even a link there for Whip's Dungeon so Whip's Dungeon is the dungeon that I co-founded here in Brooklyn with another dom named Goddess Rue so you can find us on Instagram at Whip's Dungeon I'm also on Instagram at House of Marley, house spelled h a u s of Marley. This is my 11th Instagram so we're hoping it stays. It's been <laughs> it's been doing it's been doing good for the past couple of weeks. And then you can also find me on YouTube at youtubecom Marley. That's if you want to see day-to-day videos of the dungeon, things I do as a day in the life as a dom, and things of that nature. And if you want to learn from me more one-on-one, you can visit the That's d o m m
1: e the chocolate doll mistress marley what an honor it has been to speak with you and i am so glad we were able to figure out a way to get together after all (laughs) these months of trying yes i look forward to following your uh, journey ahead and uh Hopefully one day, if I ever make it up to New York City, being able to say hello in person because you're a a lovely human. And uh, that's what I appreciate the most. Thank you so much for being with us.
2: Oh, thank you so much.
1: What an absolutely wonderful human Mistress Marley is. It was so great to be able to hear her story and realize that being a Dom is not a 24 seven business you have to be a human sometime and she's a wonderful one
0: here's what's coming up on the next edition of what women and other wonderful humans want presented by dating kinky
1: he is the tailor to corn stars and quinky people oh this is my own podcast so i can actually say porn stars and kinky people and he's also the purveyor of fine leather goods for daytime or playtime He is Mr. Pierre, Michael Pierre of Mr. Pierre fashions next week on what women and other wonderful humans want.
0: A new edition of the show premieres next Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Once again, thank you to mistress Marley for being our guest, and thank you to you, our great listeners. I'm John also known as hi there catsuit. I hope I've earned the privilege of your time. And I remind you to always remember consent and to love each other always. What Women
0: and Other Wonderful Humans Want connects with you. Join us on Twitter at WhatWomenWantP1. On Instagram at WhatWomenWantPodcast. For our kinky friends on FetLife at www.podcast. And now, select shows are available in video format at youtube.com slash dating kinky this has been a presentation of dating kinky built by kinksters for kinksters poly queer trans folk, and anyone not quite vanilla and it's free